So every once in a while, I like to uh, push pause in the middle of a teaching series and just kind of remind us of why it is we do what we do. So I'm gonna, we're going to get started at kind of a really big macro level, and then we're going to zoom in and talk some Crossroads-specific stuff. But I wanted to ask you a few questions to start tied with a few pictures, and they may seem kind of obvious at first, right? But they'll, they'll build. So bear, bear with me, okay? What is the purpose of, whoops, we're going backwards, of this machine? To give Owen money. To give Owen money. <laughs> okay, that is one thing that it does. <laughs> For those of you who don't know, Owen runs a landscaping business. So that's, to, it's, I hear somebody say to cut grass. So I actually mentally prepared myself whenever I do this, and Scruff and Angelo are in the room. I need to, I, like, I prepare myself for what might just come out of their mouth. All right, how about, what is the purpose of this person's profession? Thank you, just straight up a legit answer, thank you. <laughs> Rescue cats, also valid. All right, how about this, where it could get a little trickier. What is the purpose of this? Okay. Good. I'm, I'm glad nobody shouted out anything like, you know, a building or an organization or anything like that, right? Yes. Yes. Good. Good question. There's a lot going on in that picture. Or the sun, right? Or the sun. I said this. That was very generic of me. I was trying not to lead the witnesses in any sort of direction, but we're talking about the church. Great question. Um, so Jesus, Jesus tells us himself, right, in Matthew 28 and in Acts chapter 1, that our job is to go into the nations and make disciples, to baptize people in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. Baptize is a literary device kind of that Matthew is using there. Jesus is talking about we introduce people to Jesus. We teach them about Jesus. And then, yes, the actual process of baptizing them, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything that he commanded. And then in Acts chapter 1, he says, you will be my witnesses. You will go into Jerusalem, which is their home territory, and Judea, kind of a bigger circle out, and Samaria, which is like people that are different from them and they don't get along with, and then to the ends of the earth, which is like way out there, people they've never heard of or have nothing, nothing in common with. And you'll be my witnesses. He didn't say, go get a seminary degree. He didn't say, go study theology. He said, go tell people about what you have experienced in your life with me. Right? And the word for that, Jesus used the word, go make disciples. Discipleship, right? That's the job of the church, is to make disciples that make disciples. At Crossroads, we have a couple different ways we come at it, right? From a high level, our mission is to love God and love others. And the way that we specifically do that, we look up, we lean in, and we reach out. And we're going to talk more specifically about that in a minute. But I wanted to share with you a verse from the New Testament that kind of captures this process in a really just, um, I don't know, like a, a beautiful, a beautiful way. The idea of um, people becoming more like Jesus, of growing of intentionally aligning their lifestyle with the lifestyle of Jesus. And that's um, in the book of 2 Corinthians, and it's Paul writing to the church in Corinth, and he is um, describing both his ministry 
and Moses's ministry and what they were both like. And he's talking about an incident when Moses went up on the mountaintop and he had a personal experience with God and he came down with the law. He came down bearing news for the people of how they were to become a people. And because he had an experience, a personal experience with God, his face was glowing, right? And that freaked people out. So he covered his face to keep people from freaking out. The glow on his face was also fading and that freaked people out. So that was another reason he kept his face covered. What Paul says is that his news, the news that he brings, the gospel of Jesus, is, has a glow about it that not only does it not fade, but it should increase over time. This is um, 2 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 18. And we all who with unveiled faces contemplate the Lord's glory and are being transformed into his image with ever-increasing glory, which comes from the Lord, who is the Spirit. That word contemplate, it has a dual meaning. Original language means think deeply about, which is kind of how we think about it, but it also means reflect, right? So that we would reflect, that we would resemble the Lord's glory. And it doesn't, it, the Lord's glory talks about his splendor, his brilliance, his magnificence. Just about every encounter that somebody has a personal experience with God, they're, they're either on their face or they're hiding, or it's, it's an overwhelming experience, right? That glory, that glory of God. And it, it's something that should grow, right? The ever-increasing the ever part. I want to kind of fill this in a little bit. And this also, right, if you've ever kind of tried to shrink the, not shrink in importance, but just the manageability of the Bible. I'm going to give you three verses that, um, that I think pretty much tell the story of the Bible. The first one is this. This is Psalm, um, Psalm 8, starting in verse 3. When I consider the heavens, the work of your fingers, the moon and the stars that you have set in place, what is mankind that you are mindful of them, human beings that you would care for them? You have made them a little lower than the angels and crowned them with glory and honor. You made them rulers over the works of your hands. You have placed all things under their feet, all flocks and her herds and the animals of the wild. Every human being has the image of God in them, right? God created humanity with his glory and honor. Unfortunately, that honor, that glory is damaged, tainted, and sometimes flat out destroyed. Romans 3.23, all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Thankfully, the story does not end there. In Hebrews chapter 1, verse 3, the sun is the radiance of God's glory and the exact representation of his being, sustaining all things by his powerful word. After he had provided purification for sins, he sat down at the right hand of the majesty in heaven. We were all created with glory. That glory is damaged in the image of God in us. Jesus offers the opportunity for every person to have that glory restored in them. And not just a little bit, but that it would grow in increasing measure. It would grow in increasing measure. Psalm 8. Romans 3.23, Hebrews 1.3.
spend some time with those verses this week. Think about thinking about the glory of God and the glory which mankind has the capability of pursuing. So there's two parts to this discipleship thing of like growing in a Jesus lifestyle. There's God's sovereignty. There's the things that only God can do. And there's man's responsibility. God's sovereignty does not relieve us, right? Sovereignty is God's control over stuff. does not relieve us of um, our responsibility and the things that we have to do to grow in maturity, to grow in Christ-likeness. And unfortunately, because of that damage, right, to the glory, there are lots of obstacles that come between us and the pursuit of that. And I want to talk a little bit about a few specific ones that I think are relative to us in America, us here at, at Crossroads. The first one is this, is that I don't know if you guys have noticed, but the church in America is um, not having a great impact on culture, if any. There are isolated pockets where God is doing a work in his people and it's having an impact, but by and large, it's not having an impact on culture. Unfortunately, the reverse is true, that culture is having a greater impact on the church than the other, than the other way around. The world, the world, I'm not talking about culture wars, I'm just talking about like the people who attend church behave similarly to those who do not, right? And that's, we want to impact the culture around us. And there are lots of pastors and theologians and, and smart people who are thinking about this and they're, they're beginning to draw some conclusions around why, um, you know, some people who call themselves Christian are just some of the unhappiest, not nicest people to be around, right? And it's because they're, they're speculating, and I, I agree with them, that um, the church over the course of the last couple hundred years has uh, at best ignored and at worst um, denigrated, talked badly about things like feelings and emotions and the stuff that happens on the right side of our brain. Two, um, two, uh, one pastor and one theologian wrote a book together called The Other Half of Church, uh, and the guy who was the pastor wrote this. What I realized later was that people who did not respond to discipleship training, right, actual courses the church would do, things that they would to try to um, help people grow in Christ-likeness. Um, people who did not respond to discipleship training likely had right brain obstacles, low joy, isolation, a lack of loving community, poor identity formation, and unhealed trauma. Right? When those things are not addressed within the context of a loving community of faith centered on Jesus, we get things like abuse of power in church. We get things like sexual scandal in church. We get things like the church looking no different than you know what goes on in any anywhere else on a on a Sunday morning. So we need to. That's one of the obstacles. Um, consumer Christianity. I just want to read to you this quote from uh, pastor author Mike Breen. Effective discipleship builds the church, not the other way around. We need to understand the church as the effect of discipleship and not the cause. Here, listen to this part specifically. If you set out to build the church, there is no guarantee you will make disciples. It is far more likely that you will create, a, you will create consumers who depend on the spiritual service that religious professionals provide. 
right? This is about everybody doing, doing their part. And this is, the church in America has created a culture of, of shopping, of, of church shopping, of, of going and getting what I want, the way I want it, when I want it kind of thing. Life at warp speed. All right, here's a couple of things about God. God does not run, God does not shout, and God does not adjust his calendar to meet ours. Right? We generally would like his timetable to be a little faster when we're hoping he would move in our lives. Um, but we've got to slow down, folks. This is such a huge obstacle to the kind of faith that grows in glory, right? That we become more and more like Jesus over the course of time. We've got to slow down. And the last one is our current cultural moment. And two things about this. Uncertainty is almost a, this is kind of an oxymoron, right? By definition, uncertainty is a constant. Uncertainty is a constant right now, whether it's coming out of the, the pandemic, the war in Ukraine, what our economy is doing, what the next pandemic might or might not be, monkeypox or whatever. Um, and we're just all tired, right? That amount of uncertainty is exhausting. And coupled in with that uncertainty is um, the speed of change. Many of us, the world that we came up in no longer exists. I mean, we were joking around about rotary phones right before, before service. It just doesn't exist anymore. Um, and that stuff keeps, can, keep, can get in the way. Right, it, that level of uncertainty um, can can get in the way. The other part about this is the other part of cultural or cultural moment is not just animosity, but uneducated animosity. Listen to these these couple of quotes. There's six to seven percent of people online who create something like seventy percent of the angry extreme content that's there. Right, so it. These, these pockets make themselves seem bigger than they are, and they affect the way everybody thinks because of the way the internet works and algorithms and all that nasty kind of stuff. Um, in, terms of, in terms of politics and that uneducated animosity, a 2022 Pew Research report found that a majority in both parties view members of the other party, so this is it, Republicans think about Democrats, Democrats think about Republicans, same exact way. They are more immoral, more dishonest, more lazy, more unintelligent, and more closed-minded than other Americans. So everybody thinks that everybody else is just like that. Republicans and Democrats are also, parenthetical note, hilariously misinformed about members of the opposite party. In a perception survey published, survey published by the Journal of Politics, Republicans estimated that 36% of Democrats are atheists and agnostics, or agnostics. The real number is nine. And 38% identify as gay, lesbian, or bisexual. The real number is six. Democrats estimate that 44% of Republicans make over 250,000 a year. The real number is two. <laughs> we are angry for all the wrong reasons. We, like, we don't even know why we're angry. And that creates a barrier to this growth in discipleship. So how do we 
How do we move beyond? How do we become the people that Jesus created us to be? Um, in a little bit earlier on in, in Psalm 8, it says the Lord has put his glory in the heavens. And if we're supposed to reflect that glory in ever-increasing amounts, how do we do that in the face of these obstacles? I'm going to suggest you two different verses, one from um, the letter of 1 John. But if anyone obeys his word, love for God is truly made complete in them. This is how we know we are in him. Whoever claims to live in him must live as Jesus did. Obedience to the word of God is how we make God's love in us complete. Right? There's the two parts. God's, God's part, our part. God put his guidance, his support, his encouragement, his direction, his correction about him, what we need to know about him, what we need to know about us, what we need to know about life in his word. And our job is to obey and to, and to follow it. And that makes his love complete. The second, also in, the, um, in 1 John, is from chapter 4, verse 12. No one has ever seen God, but if we love one another, God lives in us and his love is made complete in us. Same word. That word complete means mature. Sometimes it's translated perfect. So I couldn't think of how to phrase this, so please excuse the 50-cent word. But to summarize, right, obedience and unencumbered self-sacrifice. That's the love that we're called upon to reflect. That's the love that we're called upon to contemplate. That's the love that we're called upon to pursue. A love that's obedient, just like Jesus, obedient to the point of death, and the love that is self-sacrificing with no sense of, no expectation of anything in return. That's what I was trying to summarize in the word unencumbered. I don't know. Maybe somebody could come up with a better, better way to say that. So I was thinking about, <clears throat> that's a lot of verses. It's a lot of thoughts. How do we capture that for this current season at Crossroads? Right? What do we want to do? And this phrase, intentional hospitality. Intentional is pretty clear, purposeful, right? But the, that's the Oxford definition of hospitality. Friendly and generous reception and entertainment of guests, visitors, or strangers, right? A couple of different ways to think about hospitality. First of all, hospitality is a theme throughout the Bible. The Old Testament, it, God tells his people to welcome in the stranger, welcome in the traveler, welcome in the foreigner, and to, to bring, make them part of God's people. The New Testament, right? Do unto others. Enter, you know, show show hospitality because you don't know when you might be entertaining an angel, right? All that, all that kind of stuff. Um, I also think about my, I think probably any grandmother, but my Italian grandmother, right? That's what I think of when I think of hospitality. Whenever we showed up, announced or unannounced, she would empty out the refrigerator and make a feast. Didn't matter what she had in there, and nobody was allowed to leave the table until we were all just stuffed. And her focus was on us. She was myopically focused upon us, upon our visit. Right? That, that friendly, that generous kindness. And the last thing that I would point out is this, is the word hospitality and the word hospital, they come from the same root, right? There is healing, excuse me, to be found in hospitality. There's healing to be found in hospitality. So we take this idea of intentional hospitality and we apply it in our three directions. There's a lot of text up there. I will explain it. Don't worry about it. We want to be hospitable toward God. 
a generous reception towards God. I was so, like, I just love the description of the, the Bible Believer's Commentary. In Bible Gateway, it's one of the resources that's in there. It, um, it describes it as being occupied with God. Not preoccupied, but occupied with God. And they, they compared that, they contrasted that to when we're, when we're occupied with God, we find grace and mercy and forgiveness and identity and purpose. When we're occupied with ourselves, for those things, we find defeat. When we become occupied with other people looking for those things, we find disappointment. We want to occupy ourselves with God in this hospitable relationship. As we lean in, right, we want to be glad to be together. Support, encouragement, comfort, challenge. And as we reach out, everybody needs to know Jesus. Right? And Jesus' call to us is to go to those people who need to know him. The, um, this idea of intentionally reaching out, I, um, so a little over a year ago, I retired from coaching CrossFit. And that, like, I, I love CrossFit. It's a huge part of my life. I love coaching. Um, I also love the ability it gave me to be with people who didn't necessarily know who Jesus was. Some of them did. Some of them didn't. Um, but I had, like, I got to share the gospel with people. I got to perform CrossFit weddings. Some people are sitting here today because I met them in a CrossFit class. Uh, but I don't have, like, since I retired, I don't have that kind of access. I don't have, um, almost exclusively right now, all of my friendship circles are church people. And I love church people, but I need to go. So I was playing golf the other day. And I got paired up with somebody. He and I just walked up by ourselves. And I figured I would float a couple of spiritual balloons out there and just see if there was, you know, if God was at work in this guy's life and I could share anything with him. So typically in, in that kind of say, what do you do? Oh, I'm a pastor. That comment does one of two things, right? People are like, oh, wow, what's that like? Or, hey, how about the Mets, right? It's like <laughs> just the complete conversation stopper. Um, so we went on, we played our round. He was an amazing golfer, by the way. And I'm like shanking balls left and right. And we're just, um, and then, uh, something came up and I said, yeah, I spent some time with a, a spiritual director last summer, somebody who helps you listen to God. And she said, you and your type A personality, you need to go find something to do that has no consequences. It doesn't matter whether you're good or bad, whether you succeed or fail, you just need to go find something else to do as like a form of self-care, therapy, whatever you want to call it. Like, so I had a fishing pole in one hand, I had a golf club in the other. Here I am. <clears throat> nothing. No response from him, nothing. So I floated the spiritual balloons and he didn't respond. That's all right. He's not, maybe not a person of peace for me. Maybe God is lining up things. Other people will, will approach him in that way. But that's the kind of thing I'm talking about. And I, I just I feel especially important about that aspect of this. I mean, we need all three, but that that's pretty pretty big. So, um, what does that what does that look like in the everyday crossroads, like the next nine nine to twelve months? And a big part of all of this of overcoming the obstacles of being becoming the people that Jesus created us to be is what we're trying to do in growing into multiple locations, right? So. In multiple locations, we may, we may sacrifice, like 
oh, I don't get to see that person every week because they're at another location. But what we gain is huge. Everyone is seen and known. In smaller environments, it is impossible to not to be missed. Right? When we were at Frenchtown, when we meet and it's people slip in and slip out. And people don't they nobody acknowledges, nobody, hey, I'm glad you're here. Nobody smiles at them. The look in somebody's eyes when you enter a room is so important. For them to know that you're glad that they're there is so important. And these smaller environments, we can make sure that that happens with and for everyone. And these these smaller environments, they're like they're very intentional where they are. God was very good to us in giving us a place in Trumbull and giving us a place in Stratford. 40% of our community lives in Trumbull. 40% of our community lives in Stratford. And then the other remaining 20 is kind of dispersed all over. But we are literally meeting people where they are. We're trying to make it easier to invite people to church. We're not saying, oh, yeah, come to church with me. Oh, it's an hour and a half away or 45 minutes or whatever it is. It's, it's right. You know, you drive by that sign. Oh, that's you guys, the sign I see out all the time? Yeah, right? So we're literally meeting people where we are. <clears throat> In these smaller environments, you, you guys, this discipleship work is hard, right? Whether it's relational skills or it's spiritual practices or dealing with our families of origin, any of that stuff, it's hard work, but it's easier in smaller spaces. Right? It's not as overwhelming. It's not as intimidating. We feel a little bit, a little bit safer. And finally, every single person's gifts, talents, experiences, abilities are necessary. Right? We can't rely on just a few people to, because they might be at the other location. They might be online. We need everybody to do their part right? in the way that God gifted them to do. And so as we grow into this, into this idea, right, it will f- help facilitate the process of making disciples. Um, specifically for the rest of this year, we're going to return to teaching the book of Philippians. That's going to take us right up until Christmas. We're going to alternate in there um, some more Pete Scazzaro stuff, emotionally healthy relationships. And on those weeks, we're going to, I mean, you see we have tables out. We'll have tables out for those, but you'll have a choice, right? If you want to sit at a table, Awesome. Sit at a table and you'll have a table conversation. If you want to sit in a bigger group and have a, a guided conversation by one of you know me or Leanne or somebody, you can do that. So however you best learn and interact, we're trying to um, meet that that place. We're also going to continue to do to have um, our message reflections. Kate is going to be doing a message reflection in a couple weeks here in Stratford. Marcos is going to be doing one in a couple weeks here in our over over in in Trumbull. Another part that we feel really strongly about in this discipleship is multi-generational community, right? You'll notice that the kids were in with us for worship and decided to to stick around. This is huge, you guys. I said in the the update video that, um, like, I'm just, I'm thrilled they're here. So if if you see parents come in with with the Wrigley kid, Welcome them. If they have a diaper bag and a kid hanging off their shoulder and another one wrapped around their leg, ask them if they, you can carry something for them. Not the kid. Let them take the kid. You take the <laughs> diaper bag. Right? But 
Let them know that you are glad that they're here. Let the little kid know that you're glad that he's here, she's here. We want to grow in multi-generational community. Our children, our students, our teenagers need the model of people who are further down the road of life and faith to show them what it means to live like Jesus, to grow in those relationships. All right, so you should have gotten a piece of paper with a fancy triangle and a list of stuff on the back. This is your, your homework, and you have the whole rest of the month of September to complete this assignment. Sometimes we refer to something like this as a rule of life, right? It's basically some habits that we want to put in place that will help us keep Jesus in the middle, that will help us maintain this focus on intentional hospitality in our three directions. So if you already have a rhythm of spiritual practices, great. You can, just, you can put those down on there. Maybe there's something you want to add. If this is something you're not used to, I'm just looking for you to add one practice in each area, right? So for look up, maybe it's I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to read a chapter of the Bible every day. Maybe it's I'm going to set you version to send me the verse of the day every day, and I'm going to read that. I'm going to spend the day thinking about that, whatever, whatever that might be. If you are a struggle to prevent the blank page syndrome, the backside of that has a list of possible ideas that you could, you could put in there. Lean in might be, I'm, I'm going to make a commitment that at least once a week, I'm going to text a crossroads person. And I'm going to keep a special eye out for somebody that may, oh, I haven't seen that person in a week or two. Let me reach out to them, see how they're doing. Maybe I'm going to have coffee with one crossroads person a week. Maybe what, whatever it might be. And then the last one, to, to reach out, um, again, intentionally bringing Jesus to people who are poor in spirit, poor in resources. How do we do that? Is it, I'm going to give more money. I'm going to volunteer at the Bridgeport Rescue Mission. I'm going to volunteer at a different organization in town, what, whatever it might be. But talk about it with each other. Talk about it in your groups at the Rooted thing next week. Talk about it at No More Excuses, the men's stuff going on. Whenever you are in your families, with your kids, talk about this so we can put it in place and it becomes, this stuff becomes habits and then it becomes a lifestyle, right? The Jesus-y Jesus lifestyle. So here's, the, here's the, the takeaway, right? We want to make disciples. That's our desire, Jesus' command. There's obstacles to that. The way we get through those obstacles is the love and obedience of Jesus in us and through us. Our handle, what we're gonna grab onto for this season at Crossroads is intentional hospitality in our three directions. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, thank you. Um, thank you for making access to that glory available to us again. Thank you that uh, it's, you offer an ever-increasing glory as we contemplate you and your beauty and everything that you are and everything that you offer. God, make us the kind of people that reflect that to the world around us. And God, would you speak really specifically to each person now about how you want us to grow in your likeness? What are the things you want us to put on that page? Jesus, help us to become a little bit more like you. Draw us one step closer to you. In your name we pray. Amen.